Well, let's pray together this morning. Lord, we do need you. As we sit here this morning, your people gathered together, the different generations represented, we can easily think about what's happening in our world, in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, within our friend groups or our families, even within ourselves, Lord. And we can see the great need that we have for you, the need of your presence working in us and through us um, to bring your peace to the world. God, I pray that as we are gathered together this morning, as we are here in the auditorium worshiping together or in our classrooms um, learning about who you are, we ask that you would develop within us um, a heart that is deeply bound towards following you. That as your people, you would just raise us up um, to love you and follow you more, Lord. And we thank you for the ways that you did that this past week at summer camp. We thank you for the time spent with kids and um, the different families that were represented. We thank you for the time to learn about your truth, to enjoy being together. And God, I ask that the seeds that you planted this week in these kids' hearts would just grow into beautiful fruit. Um, would, you would just influence this next generation to be one that loves you and that follows you, Lord. And we thank you for the opportunity to be a part of that this week. So Lord, we ask that you'd be with us now. We pray for our Sunday school teachers and Sharon and time in the youth room. And we just pray that you would use this um, this morning to draw us closer to you so that we might go out and be your presence in the world. We love you, Lord, and it's here in your good and holy name that we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we are starting a new series that will be a series of guests speaking and preaching on the topic of discipleship. And the first of those is Sharon, who's with us this morning, um, which is wonderful. And we're going to read from John 15 to prepare our hearts for what she will be preaching about. It says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Well, Sharon, come on up. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you. If you picked up one of these 
worship guides on the way in, you see that the font is a little different up there than it was in the e-newsletter too, which I'm kind of relieved about because I thought that the cursive, the script, it looked a little like worries, wealth, and warts. And I want you to know it's not warts that we're gonna talk about this morning. It is worries, wealth, and wants. So you can rest assured. Well, now the kids have been dismissed and it is just us grown-ups now. Whether we feel like it or not, we are the grown-ups. Chronologically, our, se our age says we are the adults, but are we really done growing up? How mature is mature enough to be considered a grown-up? As disciples of Christ, are we spiritually grown up yet? How do we develop maturity in Christ? Well, was, when I was invited to preach on discipleship, I was delighted because it is a subject very near and dear to my heart. And discipleship is a huge part of how we grow up in Christ. Amazon, believe it or not, has literally hundreds, if not thousands, of books on discipleship. And I just read another great one called Four Chair Discipling by Dan Spader. And yet I still think it's hard to put into words what exactly it is. And it's been especially hard for me to choose which aspects of this vast topic to cover today. Plus, I know most of you are already very personally involved in discipleship. And yet, I hope you will still be encouraged today. I hope you will be encouraged today. So here's where we're going this morning. First, we're gonna spend a little time describing discipleship and defining it. And then I'm very excited to talk with you as we look at Jesus's strategy for, and his model for discipleship so that we can follow his example. And then interspersed throughout, we're going to consider what may be helpful for our own growing up in Christ. So first, what is a disciple? All who follow Jesus as Lord of their lives are his disciples. Disciples are literally learners. What are we learning? We are learning to follow Jesus in every area of our lives. Throughout our lives though, we are changing. Our lives themselves are changing. And yet we wanna keep following Jesus. It's complicated, and yet it's simple. We just wanna follow Jesus. But it's always personal, all the time. I know every single one of you, as you walked through the doors this morning, have something different going on in your heart. Maybe it's personal, or maybe it's from your family, but there's all kinds of reasons for sadness, or joy, or worry, or frustration, or peace or maybe chaos, but we're all here learning to follow Jesus, to be transformed by Jesus and trust in Jesus wherever and however he leads us. That's what life in Christ is all about. Change is constant, but God is constant too. That's why I love our call to worship from Psalm 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. 
I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. We dwell, it says. We make our home with God. He is our safe place. And we trust in him, or at least we try to, no matter what is going on in our lives. And that often repeated word that Becca said as she read uh, John 15, abide, or sometimes it's, called, it's translated remain. Elsewhere, it too is the word dwell. We make Jesus our permanent dwelling place. We are in him and he is in us. This gives us rest and security and our very identity, even in really volatile times like these. So if a discipleship is a learner, I mean, if a disciple is a learner, what is discipleship? The word is never actually used in the Bible. And yet discipleship through relationships is one of our four core values here at PBCC. And it's clearly very important if hundreds of books have been written on it. Well, the term discipleship was actually first used extensively in 1850 by Charles Adams, who took the phrase, making disciples, and he broke it into two parts, bringing people to Christ, which he labeled evangelism, and growing people up in Christ, which he labeled discipleship. He wrote that evangelism and discipleship were like the two wings of an airplane. Both are essential. I don't want to be on a plane with just one wing, do you? We wouldn't want to be without either of those. Without evangelism, we won't have any new disciples. Without discipleship, we won't have any equipped disciples to go out and make more disciples. So for today, I'm going to break discipleship down into two parts, being a disciple and being a disciple maker. I think of it as something happening both inside and outside, internally and externally. Jesus is transforming us internally and growing us into his likeness while encouraging us to reach outside of ourselves to bring others to know him also. It seems to be the ebb and flow of life in Christ, internal and external, inner work and outer work, and Jesus modeled the importance of both of those. He spent time alone with God. Over 45 passages in the Gospels record Jesus slipping away to pray. If Jesus needed this time with the Father, we surely do too. But then of course, Jesus was with people a lot too. 17 times the Gospels tell us he was with the masses of people and 46 times he was with fewer followers. Jesus is always our model, our example to follow. He's the teacher, we're the followers, we're the learners. Matthew 4.19 is a key verse for our definitions and most of us know it in this version. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The word translated men there is, gen is not gender specific, so it really means men and women. And so the NIV translates it, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. So using this verse, we can define a disciple as someone following Jesus, 
being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. So I like that definition based on that verse. A disciple maker is a follower of Jesus who enters into relationships with people to help them trust and follow Jesus. And disciple making for Jesus and therefore for us means meeting people where they are spiritually and then challenging them to the next level. What motivates us to be a disciple and a disciple maker? Love. The gospel of Jesus Christ motivates us. Not duty, not guilt. Only Christ's love can motivate us for our whole lifetime. The great commandment, loving God and loving people, that is our motive. It says in Matthew 22, when Jesus is asked, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He replies, love the Lord your God with all your, notice three things, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Scripture says, without love, all of our efforts sound like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Without love, we are nothing and we gain nothing. Loving God and loving people cannot be separated. God used disciples who loved others and loved him with all their heart and soul and mind. Growth in Christ-likeness happens in all of those regions. Leading small groups and mentoring others is not just for those who know a lot about Jesus and are the expert Bible students. Over the years, I've actually heard from many of you who don't think you know enough to serve in various ways, as if knowing about Jesus and the Bible is all important in serving. God uses disciples who love others and whose hearts and souls are aflame with love for him and who want to be continual learners. That love and enthusiasm for Christ and willingness to continue growing up in him, those are infectious and by far the greatest prerequisites. With love as our motive, our mission is making disciples. Jesus gave us the mandate in Matthew 28, known as the Great Commission, and it summarized Jesus' life. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew records these words at the very end of his gospel, and they were probably among Jesus's last words to his disciples after his resurrection, but before his ascension. Last words tend to be very important words. Here, Jesus was summarizing his mission and handing it off to his disciples and every follower of Jesus after them. He told his disciples to go and repeat his process. 
We're to do in our lives what Jesus did in his. This is our critical assignment as we await Jesus' return. Jesus understands that people are in all different stages of maturity as disciples and disciple makers. He's our example to follow from his about three years of ministry on earth. These two, the great commission and the great commandment were the greatest of all commitments that he modeled. Jesus, our savior, modeled those, but they must be held together like one thought. Because we love God and we love people, we make disciples. Do we think of ourselves as both disciples and disciple makers? I have sensed a clear call from God on my life to feed his sheep. But I have certainly been reminded again as I prepared for today of the full disciple-making process. It's urgent that we remember all of Jesus' disciples are called to reach out and be disciple-makers. Now, like I said, I want to interject a few points to consider for our own growing up in Christ before we delve into Jesus' discipling strategy. First, the Christian life cannot be lived in a vacuum. When we opt out of this, of Christian community, we're opting out of a process that Jesus uses to encourage maturity, to assist in the growth of others, and to impact the world. It's not that coming to church or attending a Bible study guarantees growth and maturity. Christian faith isn't just a matter of knowing. It's not a matter of our efforts or intellectual belief or how much scripture we know. Faith is a supernatural reality. For followers of Jesus, it's God's very spirit, the Holy Spirit living inside of us who fills us and enables us to be and grow as disciples and disciple makers. However, it's not just about you and Jesus, and it's not just about me and Jesus. It involves investing in the lives of others. We learn to follow Jesus from those who have gone before us, and we've watched them, and we're investing in others who are coming along after. Learning to live the Spirit-filled life a life dependent on his spirit is key. The spirit-filled life is what sets us free from being doomed to frustration or legalism or burnout or a loss of joy or just kind of being unproductive. The spirit-filled life follows a cycle of grace. And some of you have heard me mention this before, but I have to repeat it because I love it and because it's so foundational. We have to be grounded in this. We are accepted, first off, so this goes clockwise. We get our acceptance with an understanding of whose we are, not just who we are, whose we are. I am God's. I am in Christ. I am rooted in God's acceptance of me. I'm his beloved. And then from there, I know that my sustenance comes from him. He fuels my tank. He allows me to be productive for him using the very gifts that he has given me. And then I know my significance comes from my identity in him. 
I'm his image bearer. I am granted grace to represent him to the world. So out of all of that, I bear fruit. Therefore, I bear fruit or achieve or produce because of his spirit in me, his grace extending through me. That cycle is so important, that order. Otherwise, if we get this backwards, we are tempted to bear fruit in order to feel significant, and then we have to sustain that. So we gotta keep working and working to try and bear that fruit and sustain that pace because we're trying to feel worthy. We're trying to earn God's love and acceptance. And that is not the way it works. We don't earn God's favor or love. It's grace. It's all grace. It is pure gift. So it's the cycle of grace when lived correctly. But if we run that counterclockwise and we run that backwards, it's a cycle of works. So since Jesus is our model or example for life and ministry, and he commissions us to do what he did, I want us to take a good look at what he did. What was his pattern for disciple making? Jesus was not just his words or his message. We can learn from his methods also. So we're gonna follow the disciples' progression here from one who is curious about Jesus to one who has decided to follow Jesus, a new follower, to a worker or someone serving God and fishing for people, all the way to a fruit-bearing disciple-maker. We could say that Jesus had four stages in his discipling strategy, and he issues four challenges. The first of these is come and see from John 1.39. And come and see, you'll remember from Sean's, uh, that's his title for his John series, right? Come and see. Well, after John the Baptist had preached that the Messiah was coming, and then he announced upon seeing Jesus coming toward him, look, the Lamb of God. Well, his own disciples became curious then about Jesus. So two of John the Baptist's disciples, Andrew, who is Peter's brother, and John, began following Jesus down the road. And he eventually, Jesus eventually turned to them and asked, what do you want? That is the fundamental question of Christian discipleship. Because as one author says, you are what you love. And that is the name of another great discipleship book by James K.A. Smith, You Are What You Love. It's the question, really, this question of what do you want? This really is the question that underlies every other question that Jesus asks. Will you come and follow me? Do you love me? Do you want to get well? These and other questions really are all versions of what do you want? Jesus doesn't encounter anyone and ask, what do you know? He asks, what do you want? It is a piercing question. Our wants and our longings, our loves are at the very core of our being. They reverberate in our heart. That is from the epicenter of us. Interestingly though, the disciples didn't answer his question. But instead, they asked, where are you staying? Jesus responded, come, and you will see. Jesus spent at least two hours then talking to Andrew and John. 
come and see in this passage means just show up. It assumes curiosity. So if you are here this morning and you are curious about Jesus and what he's all about, that's great. Keep coming, keep showing up, keep learning and asking questions. And if you're already a disciple, you are a disciple maker. So we can spend time with folks and encourage them to just show up and learn more. And in time, they, like these disciples, will likely turn around and invite others to come and see. Now, it's important that we stay grounded in a couple of scriptures here, because the scripture from John 6:44 tells us it's God's job to prepare people's hearts and draw them to himself. But John 16, 8 also says the Holy Spirit's role is to convict the world of sin. Our job is to find people God has already prepared and proclaim the truth to them. All right, Jesus' next challenge is follow me from John 1:43, and he gives this challenge to Philip. Where come and see assumed curiosity, follow me assumes commitment to follow and learn. Philip went right away and found Nathanael, and they spent time with Jesus and the other earliest disciples. The command to follow Jesus assumes an answer to the question, what do you want? It's a command to align our loves, our wants, our longings with God's. So we want what God wants. We hunger and thirst after him. Following Jesus and being his disciple forms what we want and what we love. So yes, disciples are learners, but we're not just learning with our minds. We are also learning, maybe even more so, with our heart and our soul too, those same regions in which we love Jesus. So once we've chosen to follow Jesus, that inner transformation begins. And throughout the journey then, following Jesus is our primary responsibility. To follow means to come behind, to follow in his steps, to learn of him, become like him, allow him to lead us. The next challenge, follow me and I'll make you fishers of people. I, I put Matthew 4:19, but afterwards I wished I'd put Matthew 4:18 to 22, because really it's that whole section. And this happens 18 months into Jesus' ministry. As he's passing along the Sea of Galilee, he calls to these brothers, Simon, who later we know as Peter, and Andrew. And then a little further down the lake, brothers James and John, they're all fishing. And they had already been following Jesus for months. But here, Jesus challenges them to go deeper. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of people. Now, these four become Jesus' ministry team, and they get to go on evangelistic fishing trips with him, even before there were 12 disciples. And they were followers, ready to serve or work, who Jesus is taking deeper by modeling for them, teaching, and healing, and casting out demons, and slipping away early in the morning to pray, and not being overly concerned with meeting the needs or wants of the multitudes. And then the fourth challenge, go and bear fruit, from John 15, 16. This is near the end of his earthly ministry, after Jesus has left 
his last Passover meal with his disciples in the upper room, and he's heading down to the Garden of Gethsemane. And some scholars think that it was on the way to the garden that he actually passed through a vineyard where he may have delivered this from John 15 about the vine and the branches right there in the vineyard. And I love to think he may have been in a vineyard when he said these things. Years ago, I got to go through a soul care program and we had a teaching among the vine and the branches on John 15 and it was so powerful. Jesus explains in this metaphor that he is the vine, we are the branches, and his father is the gardener. Now that translation we read said vine dresser, but I'm gonna use gardener because I just like that word better and that's in some other translations. For a branch to bear fruit, it must stay connected to the vine. And we then allow the vine to produce the fruit through us. Our task is abiding, his task is bearing fruit. Jesus told his disciples here, to go and bear fruit. He knew he would not be physically present with them much longer, and he was sending them to do what he had done. He had modeled it for them, and now he was telling them, as the Father had sent him, now Jesus was sending them that they might go and bear much fruit, from John 15, verses 15 and 16. So we're gonna go back to more on the, on the Father as the gardener in a minute. So you'll have to stay tuned for that part. Also in this passage, Jesus calls his disciples friends. Initially, the disciples were curious. Then they decided to follow him and they became his disciples. Then they became servants or coworkers, and now they're friends because everything Jesus had learned from his father, he had made known to them. So we have this little chart now for you to helpfully see where we've been, where, where did we go just then. Um, we have been looking at the Jesus' discipling strategy. He issued these challenges, we see who he was addressing, and then we see their yield of fruit in growing the harvest for God. You can see the progression as the disciple is maturing. First, come and see to the curious, but they don't bear any fruit. They're not in the vine yet. Then he says, follow me, and they follow. So these are the new disciples, and they begin to bear fruit. And then follow me, and I'll make you fishers of people. And they become workers, they become servants of Jesus. And we, I like the word worker here, because Matthew 9 talks about, uh, Jesus says, when the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And he wants to send workers out into the field, and they bear more fruit. And then finally he said, go and bear fruit to the disciple makers. And then they, as really the most mature, bear much fruit. Well, we recognize, of course, that a huge part of Jesus's personal mission was to come and die on the cross for our sins, reconciling us with God. His ministry mission was to advance his father's kingdom by initiating this whole movement of multiplying disciples. And that movement would become the church and spread to the uttermost parts of the world so that one day, as Revelation says, Revelation 7, a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language will stand before the throne. I can't wait. <laughs> Proclaiming. 
salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Jesus' mission was not to reach the world, but to make disciples who could reach the world. By training his disciples how to multiply believers and multiply themselves, hundreds of millions of people are worshiping and following Christ today. All right, let's just pause again for a minute and consider our own disciple-making process and our growth in light of Jesus' strategy and his methods. We know Jesus is the only way to a restored relationship with God, to forgiveness, and ultimately to eternal life. Only Jesus conquered death and rose from the grave. Only Jesus can give the life our friends and family desperately need. Are we prepared to present this good news of Jesus clearly and concisely? Are we prepared with an elevator version of our own story of faith, as well as a longer version for when circumstances provide that much time? But can we say how our lives were before we came to Christ? Explain how we came to Christ and how are we being transformed through knowing Christ? Even new believers need to practice this because it helps affirm what exactly Christ has done for me. Or when appropriate, will we at least issue an invitation to come and see? Just come and see and learn about Jesus. Did you know that in October, there's going to be a class here called a discovery class for the four Sunday nights in October when Lois Linquist will teach and we'll have an opportunity to invite friends to come and see. So let's be praying about who God might have us bring. Also following Jesus's example, are we committed to incarnational or relational ministry as he was? Do we notice who has God already placed around us and just try to be available like Jesus was and be prepared to be a friend to all, even those whom others condemn? Do we have time or are we always doing the Silicon Valley rush, rush thing? Can we name one or two people that we're praying for and reaching out to? Jesus balanced his efforts among people of all the stages of discipleship, but he spent the most time with his disciples to mature them to take on his mission. Within the body of Christ, who are we investing in to help them mature? We want our church to have people at every stage of discipleship. We need to have the curious here with us. We need the new followers, the new disciples of Jesus to be here with us. And then we need the ones that are growing and working and serving. And we need the multiplying disciple makers. This is God's design for his family and can be accomplished only by the power of the Holy Spirit. If, a, if disciple making isn't happening, we could have what I've heard called ingrown churchianity instead of authentic Christianity. Well, what about the challenges that you've endured in your life? Those were not by coincidence. Maybe God wants to use us to help others face 
those same or similar struggles. And obedience. Obedience to God is important. Jesus modeled the importance of obedience to his Father's will. He suffered for his obedience, and he learned obedience from what he suffered, according to Hebrews 2 and 5. Jesus knew his Father's love language was obedience. And later, Jesus told his disciples, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Well, I'm eager to have us have a little illustration here from Mark 4, 1 through 20, when Jesus gave the parable of the soils. This is obviously told from the farmer's perspective of sowing seeds and seeking to bring in a harvest. And it effectively illustrates Jesus' disciple-making strategy, and it also tells us about some of the sticking points along the way. So I'm going to hop, skip, and jump through this pretty quickly. But first, the farmer sows seed, um, and it falls along a path. Well, a path, well, no, that has little hope of bearing fruit. And in the parable, the birds of the air, which are a metaphor from Satan, were told, come along and steal the seed right off the path and give, it has no chance to grow. This seems to represent the curious one who really doesn't have a receptive heart and so is stuck in their unbelief. And I would only add that if we can cultivate friendships before the seed is sown, becoming a friend to all, as Jesus did, that will help that seed to have a chance to germinate and not be stolen. Next, Jesus describes the seed sown on the rocky places without much soil, so it springs up quickly without any roots, though. So the sun comes along and scorches it. These curious ones, they hear the word and at once receive it with joy, but since they don't have deep roots, when trouble or persecution comes, they fall away. And notice it's not if trouble and persecution comes, it's when. So when we're discipling new believers, we need to do what we can to help them develop deep roots. Study the word together, especially who Christ is and what he's done for them. Teach them how to trust the spirit and live in his strength. And then the third scene is sown among, among thorns where the word is heard, but here it is, the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. In this case, and the former one, there are no roots, so there is no fruit. Although there is some initial growth, something keeps it from becoming fruitful. And that's where we have these three sticking points. Worries, wealth, and wants can choke out fruit. We all face all of these, so how do we keep them from choking us out? I think we talk honestly and vulnerably with others who are also following Christ. We all have worries. We're all influenced by wealth and wants. We need to have godly, wise people who love and care enough for us to confront us gently and help us see our blind spots. Ask for accountability. Aggressively tackle these thorns that choke out fruitfulness. We really have to take this seriously because Christ is clearly warning us in this parable that three out of four people do not make it to fruitfulness. Troubles, 
Persecution, worries, wealth, wants, they all can stop us from becoming fruitful. This is why Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. All right, and then the fourth seed is grown on good soil. Yay, finally, where we all long to be. We hear the word, we accept it, and we produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Now that is bearing much fruit. The multiplication of disciples is dependent upon first us becoming a fruitful disciple, and then we can help others to do the same but we do that by sharing our lives with them. It takes intentionality, it takes clear teaching and training, and Jesus modeled all of that for us. So how fruitful do we want to be? The harvest is plentiful. Can we be among the ones, among the workers, and can we be 30, 60, 100-fold disciple makers? Fruitfulness is a byproduct of abiding in the vine, abiding in Jesus, but we help by creating a healthy environment for maximum growth to take place. The Father's goal for each of us, as we read in John 15, 8, is to move us to the much fruit level, proving we're his disciples and bringing him glory. But not every believer will bear much fruit. There's a couple of other, other barriers that we can't leave out. We can't bear fruit apart from him, and sin keeps us apart from him. So it's critical that we teach and know 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are we ruthless with our own sin? Disciples are repenters. So this means we try to immediately confess, turn away from any known wrongdoing, realign ourselves with God, and then we move forward back in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is our repenters' lifestyle. And sometimes we might have such sinful patterns that we need to seek out some help, and that's okay, do that. God's agenda for us is holiness, which leads to fruitfulness, but sin can keep us from that. And then as promised, we're gonna come back to pruning with the gardener, because sometimes I wonder if we become a little pruning resistant. Remember in the metaphor, Jesus is the vine. We are the branches, and God is the gardener. Branches need pruning to be even more fruitful. If you've ever heard from winemakers, they will tell you that pruning is required to achieve the best harvest. The gardener is never closer to the vine than when he is pruning it, analyzing it carefully to prune it effectively. I want God that close, don't you? And we don't have to pray for pruning because it says every branch gets pruned. And sometimes we struggle with personal pruning because it doesn't feel good. It feels like good things are being taken away. And we may be tempted to question God's goodness and care in those times. Our faith may be replaced with doubt, and we may regress a bit in our walk with Jesus. And Hebrews 10 through 12 talks about this part of the journey. 
we are encouraged not to throw our confidence away. After we have endured, we will reap the harvest. We are the faithful, the righteous ones whose souls will be saved. And those verses in Hebrews say, so don't, sh don't shrink back. Lean into this tough time with faith and endurance. And as I look at you, I tear because I know when you're going through stuff, how hard it is and when I go through it. But pruning is part of growing up and we have to allow God to mold us and shape us. God is doing in pruning what only he can do. And other believers are so key in walking through that with us. So don't isolate yourself when you're going through these times. Let other believers in. We can help carry each other's faith in those times when it may get hard to carry it ourselves. And we need God's grace so that no bitterness takes hold because bitterness prevents fruit bearing also. We must go through these barriers and learn their rich lessons to know, as Paul describes in Philippians, both the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering. Worship team, thank you. Please come back up as I summarize now. Our God is a missionary God. In the Old Testament, he blessed Abraham to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And then continuing in the New Testament, God sent his son to be a missionary to us. And as that perfect missionary, Jesus modeled for us how to make an impact, what it means to be sent and to live our life on mission. Jesus perfectly demonstrated the process of finding curious people and challenging them to move forward in the disciple-making process. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we must stay on the journey of disciple-making. We are continuing his mission. Regardless of how much you know or have experienced, others can learn from you, and you can learn from others. Disciple-making is our mission. Following Jesus' example is our method, and love is our motive. Lead us in a response. Well, if you would like prayer this morning, there will be a team up here on your left, my right. So please come and, ha come and have prayer if you would like it. Thank you to the team. What beautiful choices this morning for songs. Well, receive these words of benediction now. Discipleship, both being a disciple and a disciple maker, is a lifelong journey of becoming like Christ and helping others to do the same. Friends, we can do what Jesus did if we walk as Jesus walked. We give because of what he has given us. We serve because he has served us. And we love because we know how much he loves us. We are dependent on the Spirit of God. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So go now, branches, and abide in the vine, and bear much fruit. Amen. Amen.